When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All right, welcome to another edition of the Sports Media Watch podcast. This is John Lewis, joined as always by Drew Lerner. Uh, we were going to have a guest today, a uh, 1990s era sports center anchor, but we had a developing situation with the technology. So we're going to have to reschedule that, but we hope to have him on soon. And uh, in lieu of our guest, we're just going to jump right into the discussion of the topics of the week. And we'll start with LeBron James' injury. So LeBron James uh, will be out. It's expected to be multiple weeks, several weeks. Uh, He's going to be reevaluated in two weeks, according to the latest reporting. But he's not going to come back in two weeks. They're just going to figure out from there what kind of treatment that he should undergo. LeBron has had a, a major injury now in four of the last five years playing for the Lakers. Uh, the reality of the matter is that he's getting uh, no younger and 38 years old, but the NBA is still in large measure dependent on him and Steph Curry and Durant and a lot of uh, players who are well into their 30s and often injured. Uh, so far this season in the NBA, six of the 11 most watched games have involved the 29 and 32 Lakers, a team that hasn't been 500 even once all season, and uh, ultimately that wasn't necessarily the end of the world because the Lakers looked at least in the last week or so, like they could make a real playoff push. Without LeBron, that's pretty unlikely now. And so the NBA is facing another postseason without LeBron. Who knows how long the Warriors will stick around as poorly as they've played all year. They're a pretty mediocre team, even with Steph Curry this season. And uh, Durant, he could be in the finals, but, you know, uh, well, we'll see. I mean, that might be what they have to hang their hat on this year is Durant and Phoenix. This is a star Bladen League and the biggest stars of their generation are starting to uh, maybe head to the end of their careers. So I'll go ahead and bring in Drew as we get ready to discuss everything that went on in sports and sports media over the weekend. Yeah. Hey, John. And it really is such a shame that LeBron has, has gotten injured at this point in the season. Um, it's unlikely we would have even been talking about any sort of playoff aspirations for the Lakers if it weren't for the play-in tournament that now exists. But just as a fan, I mean, it, it really is a shame to see LeBron at the end of his career not even to you know make playoff appearances. I want him to at least get a crack at it, and I think a lot of people do as well. Um, he's still obviously more than capable of, of performing at a high level. It's it's just a shame that he's he's not on a team that can uh, surround him with enough good players. Maybe a bit, you know, 
because of him, you know, everyone likes to make the lay GM jokes, but um, it, it certainly is a shame that we can't even get him in the playoffs. Maybe we can hope that that the injury isn't as bad as has been reported on, and maybe they can sneak into the tournament, the play-in tournament without him. But as you said, it, it really, it, it's not looking good. No, and you know, the reality of the matter is the NBA, the biggest problem for the NBA is that it hasn't developed the next generation of stars. You know, Zion is in year, what is this, uh, 1920, 2021, 21, 22. So Zion is in his fourth season. You know, that's a lot of seasons. He hasn't played a lot of basketball, but Dwayne Wade was a finals MVP in his third season. LeBron James was in the NBA finals in his fourth Obviously, you know, that's a pretty high bar, but, you know, for a guy like Zion with all the hype, I mean, people forget the impact he had on the ratings with Duke. I mean, those were numbers we have not seen for an NCAA tournament. Typically, Zion hasn't been on the court. You know, Alonzo Ball, people don't think of him as that kind of star, but he came in with a lot of hype as well. We've seen how his career has gone. LaMelo, very similar. Yeah, and, you know, there's definitely, I think, with Zion, a bit of a combination of his his really poor injury luck and the fact that he's in a pretty small market in New Orleans. If if Zion was you know playing for the Knicks or playing for the Lakers, I mean, we would probably hear about him constantly, even though he's injured. It would be when is Zion going to be back? Or in the pre in last season, it was why isn't he even with the team? You know, he's in on the West Coast. He's not even in New Orleans. I mean. That would have been a huge story if if he was in a large market. So if the NBA can develop someone like a Zion or maybe if Victor Wembanyama ends up panning out as as the superstar that a lot of people think he will be, you know, there is definitely hope that the NBA can have that next generation of stars. I wanted to bring up something that's been getting a lot of headlines in the NBA. Charles Barkley's comments on load management and that guys should really not be um, not be taking as many games off essentially well what's your take on that do you think it hurts the league's ratings or the league's product in any way you know I really can't tell uh, load management is a little bit like traveling this is something that kind of outs you as being an, uh, uh, an old head of sorts right now don't get me wrong. I think it's terrible when teams hold out their players, but one, there's a weird amount of anger at the players. It's these, you know, I strongly doubt that in most of these cases, the players are going, I'm not playing tonight. Do what you got to do. You know, they are, this is something that's either being done in tandem with the team or the team is the one imposing it. Uh, this all started with Popovich sitting his guys and it's not like he asked them. You know, I mean, I'm quite sure he made that decision. So uh, I don't know that load management is having the impact people think it is. I think injuries are. And, you know, Giannis has missed both of the Bucks' ABC games this year. You know, it's not because he was resting. It's because he was injured both times, I believe. And uh, those ticky-tack injuries, they add up. LeBron with his foot all season. Well, to me, this really goes back to something that a lot of people, I think, push for every year when, especially these last few years, when it seems like a lot of these injuries stack up, especially later on in the season, um, to star players and generally, you know, the people, the players, excuse me, that are making deep playoff runs and playing the most games. Why, why are we starting the NBA in October? Oh. Obviously, 
obviously we know the reason, right? You know, they they want to play 82 games, they want to make money, but who's paying attention to the NBA in October? At is is it so detrimental to the product all these injuries not having your full roster of star players in the in the playoffs? Uh, is that hurting the product enough where the NBA would even consider cutting back on the amount of games that, that they play or delaying the season to start in maybe November or December? Well, I mean, one is tradition, right, in terms of 82 games. And obviously, all the media deals are based on there being an 82-game season. They're, you know, those weeks of inventory, there's enough people paying attention in October for ESPN and Turner, certainly. Uh, in fact, the audience is pretty consistent throughout the season, you know, you're not seeing a dramatically smaller audience in October or November than you are. In fact, the audience is usually smaller by now because it's a dog days of the season. So, I mean, I, I can't see the league ever going below 82 to any real extent. I think ultimately, I mean, one, people played through things in the past that they shouldn't have played through. LeBron could probably, if this isn't not, you know, if this is not a tear, he could probably play through this. I mean, he played the entire fourth quarter, but we know now that that's unwise. Grant Hill played through an ankle injury he could never have had to play through, and it altered his career. Could have even killed him because of uh, complications that he developed uh, later on. So, you know, it's a different world that's because of the things that we know about now in terms of medicine and trying to prolong careers. You know, it's not a coincidence that LeBron has had the longevity he's had. It's, you know, the result of not taking the kind of risks that players took like a Brandon Roy, you know, and uh, it is what it is. Do I think it's affecting the ratings? No, I don't. And I'm going to, I'm going to say that to me, I mean, certainly load management is not the, it's not the primary explanation. I think beyond anything else, the NBA has really struggled since LeBron went to LA. It's a star-driven league. Its biggest star has been on a bad team for most of the past five years. Steph Curry, just at the exact same time, happened to, uh, one, lose Kevin Durant, two, get hurt for basically two years. Uh, and Clay Thompson was out for two years. I mean, I don't think it... You know, we don't. I don't think we need to look at any other reason beyond what's been on the court for why the NBA's drawing power has diminished. LeBron's been on a bad team, and Steph Curry's been largely on a bad team, or at the very least, a mediocre one. So I, I think those are the reasons more so than load management, which is it's kind of a Will Bond thing. You know, this is the kind of thing that Will Bond, <laughs> you know, will complain about Charles, guys who have other problems with the state of the game, and load management is just kind of a perfect you know, entry into that complaint. Yeah. I mean, it's not like we don't see this in other sports, right? Um, you know, baseball all the time, obviously, especially if you're a pitcher, you know, you're only yeah. pitching one every five games or whatever. Catchers take days off all the time in baseball as well. Um, you know, we can go on and on. Athletes need breaks. They need time yeah. to recover. Um, and the, the NBA is not immune from that. I do think there are things that they can do and have done recently to to try to at least mitigate some of these injuries that that seem to be more common at least in the last few years than than um you know in years past you know they've they've limited the amount of back-to-backs teams play um kind of trying to optimize the schedule essentially to to be better on these guys bodies yeah. but there's probably more that they can do 
Well, I mean, maybe even day games might be a way to go about that in terms of back-to-backs. Maybe you schedule most of the back-to-backs on weekends. So the first game can be at like one o'clock and the second game is at, you know, seven, give a few extra hours. Uh, You know, that'll also help you in Europe too. The more day games, the better for programming overseas. Uh, But you know, I mean, it's just, uh, it's tough. You, you know, it's an 82 game season and it's not going to get any easier. Uh, and uh, the reason why everyone seemed so much tougher in the 90s was because we had worse medicine then. And so we were not able to tell, you know, that this was a risky thing to play on, you know. I mean, there's a lot of players now resting uh, because of injuries that will be progressive in nature. That's That's my perspective on it anyway. Oh yeah, and for the teams, it's they're making a, an investment of tens of millions of dollars in many of these players. They don't want them to have a long-term nagging injury, so it's better to get ahead of the issue. And they almost assuredly follow the the qualified doctors, <laughs> not fans on Twitter. Yeah. All right. Um, do you want to move on to the XFL? Yeah, sounds good. All right. Let's uh let's go over some XFL numbers for week two. I think we obviously anticipated a pretty stark drop. Give us those numbers in context here. Well, you know, so it was a 50% drop from week one to week two. Obviously pretty massive, but less of a drop than we saw for the USFL last year, which was, I think, like 57%. Uh, Bigger drop than the XFL had three years ago, 34%. But obviously three years ago, the XFL had more games on broadcast television in week two. All of the games in week two this time were on cable. Uh, so from that perspective, 665,000 viewers, which is slightly below what the USFL had um, uh, in 2000 and, uh, well, last year. It's actually 655,000 viewers. I have a typo in the second uh, paragraph of my article. Better fix that. But it was uh, 655,000 for the XFL. And then for the USFL two year, uh, last year was 661. And that's with the USFL having two broadcast TV windows. So I think ultimately, if you're the XFL, you're trying to compare yourself to the USFL last year. You're not trying to compare yourself to the XFL three years ago. There's just no comparison. Uh, And uh, ultimately, you know, uh, I think if somehow, some way, this was where the viewership bottomed out, you'd take it. Uh, The issue is that one would expect the numbers to keep going down from here, especially as the NCAA tournament arrives. And then we could start getting into, you know, some of that live golf territory, which I don't think they want to mess around with. Uh, you definitely don't want to go into that territory. Uh, definitely a bit of a lull in the sports calendar this week. Not too much going on. I do think the one thing the XFL has going for them is a bit of a, a first mover advantage on the USFL this year. Um, I think the USFL is probably going to run into some problems with spring football fatigue, if that can even exist, just by na- the nature of starting after the XFL, right? There's already mm-hmm. going to have been a secondary football product that people have been able to tune into. What's the appetite like going to be for, for a league like that once the XFL finishes their season, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, uh, it's... If your expectations are really low and you're willing to run with 300, 400,000 viewers and that's acceptable because it's a primarily cable league, then I don't think there'll be any problem for either of these two properties. 
if your expectation is to get back to what the XFL was doing three years ago, I mean, that, there's no chance of that. If you go back to the AAF way back, that was not much different. You know, that's four years and that's pre-COVID. That might just be, you know, the more realistic expectation. If you were a betting man, John Lewis, which I don't know if you are or not, but if you were, would you think that there will be more than one secondary spring football league in the spring of 2024? I do, because I think the competition is such that no, neither one will want to be the first one to go down. I think the USFL has the advantage of being with, you know, uh, Fox and Fox is owning it. I think that'll keep it alive for a while. And uh, the XFL, I think with The Rock and all of the, uh, you know, all of the uh, hype surrounding it, I think that at least has a second year in it. So I think they'll they'll give this maybe one more year of the head-to-head competition and if it's too ruinous, then uh, then they'll bail. But I think you'll get at least one more year of it. How much of this is, you think, network executive egos going at it? I think there's a part of that, yeah. I, I mean, I think there's an element of that for sure. Uh, Fox is really invested in it, you know. Uh, and, uh, I mean, the reality of the matter is the stakes are really low here. No one's going to be in any real trouble if, if one of these leagues fails, except for the players and some other folks who might be, you know, more, more tied into it. But, um, you know, it's just uh, kind of just uh, the same experiment that's been being run for 20 years. Can we get something other than the 20 years, 40, go back to the original USFL, you know, I mean, can we have uh, another, football league after the nfl is over can we have a second dessert right and or a second main course i guess as it were because the nfl is certainly not just dessert but um you know i mean it's i don't know i i it it didn't last with the usfl it didn't last with any iteration of the xfl i don't think it'll last now but i think it won't die out this year yeah i i do i do tend to agree with with that kind of perspective there that there are some egos involved. There's there's some pride between the networks. They do not want to be the first to bow out of this um, spring football battle. So you're probably right. There probably will be a second year for the XFL, a year three for the USFL. But it is also a little bit early to say. We got to see how the USFL does post XFL and if they're able to sustain any viewership there. Um, because you know if if viewership is so low that they just decide it's a lost cause, you could also see them cutting it. Yeah. All right. Um, let's let's get to that last topic you alluded to, which is live golf. Um, we did end up getting some numbers, John. I know in the last podcast you predicted around two hundred thousand viewers for for live golf's opening weekend. They did exceed your expectations, albeit not by a ton. Still under three hundred thousand, around two hundred ninety ish thousand yeah. both days, Saturday and Sunday. Is this an abject failure? Is this you only expected 200k? Is this exceeding expectations for Live Golf? Is there any potential for viewership growth here? What are your thoughts? Well, I do think you have to give some credit 
because getting people to tune into the CW in the afternoon for golf is kind of a miraculous thing, no matter how low the numbers are. Uh, you know, it's uh, I, I don't know what the CW would typically get on a weekend afternoon, because I'm quite sure always in the history of the network and the WB and UPN that that time belonged to the affiliates. So I have no idea what the CW would have typically drawn on a weekend afternoon. But if we're talking about, you know, I mean, this is a netlet. This is a place where on a weekend afternoon, they're probably re-airing the movie Eddie from the 90s with uh, Whoopi Goldberg as the Knicks coach. You ever heard about that one, Eddie? No. I, admittedly, John, I'm not a huge movie guy, right. but yeah, that definitely goes down the toilet when we're talking about movies from the 90s. Yeah. Well, that was, I mentioned that one because I literally watched that on a future CW affiliate. I think it was WPIX in New York. Uh, I think that's a CW. Uh, and yeah, yeah, it's yeah that is. New York. Yeah. That's where I watched Eddie and it was exciting because like real Knicks are in the movie, but I digress. Uh, you know, when all is said and done with the live tour, there's what, what is the bar for success? Right. We all know that this is um, a PR effort. So as long as it's on TV and people are watching, there's no number that would be so low that this would end. Everyone's making money. So it's, it's honestly, I, I said this in the previous iteration of the podcast a few times. It's basically what WNBA players have been doing in Russia for all those years. There, you know, there's people with lots of money who are willing to pay women's basketball players a lot of money. And so they went over to play in Russia. It wasn't like it was some kind of hugely popular thing in Russia. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's actually a really good comparison, something that I guess a frame of reference I haven't really thought of the league in until you brought that up. I will say if if you kind of look at it from a perspective of last year's viewership versus this year's viewership number, they are getting significantly more viewers on the CW than they got on their YouTube that's live true. streams, right? almost to like a five or a tenfold number um, versus what they would get on YouTube, right? So in that frame of reference, it's a bit of, of a success for Liv. On the other okay. hand, as you mentioned, this isn't something that, at least at the moment, they're trying to make financially viable. They're, they are, you know, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia is paying hundreds of millions of dollars to these players to come play in their golf league they're nowhere near going to recoup that from 280, 290,000 people on the CW yeah. every week, right? So for me, this becomes how long is Saudi Arabia going to want to fund a venture like this? Um, because for me, it, it doesn't seem like there's any future in terms of financial viability, even though that's what you know that's what the public investment fund says they want to do that just seems so unrealistic well they're going to keep funding it until there's no benefit for them anymore you know just like in russia they they you know they uh, allowed the wnba players to play there until they decided with what they did to britney griner to ensure that no women's basketball player would ever play there ever again and eventually the saudis will decide that it's just not worth it for them I don't think the ratings are going to make a difference on that front. Um, I don't think really any economic, you know, aspect is going to make a difference on that front. Uh, and uh, as long as the Saudis are paying the money, the, these players are going to play there. 
I would say just in terms of the YouTube aspect, you know, you think about what this was getting on YouTube. I mean, there's so many YouTubers that get that in a short amount of time. You know what I mean? Um, I'm looking now like the, the newest red letter media video they did and they released it, I think on Saturday uh, has 674,000 in three days. No, that's three days. That's not a three hour window. And, you know, but I mean, ultimately, you know, when we're talking about, I mean, it's not like the interest level on YouTube was so high that you go, oh my goodness, wow, there's something here. I mean, you can get that if you're a reasonably popular YouTuber in less than a week, you know, I mean, Conan, uh, Conan O'Brien will put up any random video from his podcast and he'll get a couple hundred thousand. So I, I just don't think that there's a tremendous amount of interest in this. I think, yeah, it's got the stars, but the stars only exist because they played in the PGA tour, right? You know, and that has a certain amount of prestige to it that live just doesn't. And so I, I just don't see that as being, you know, uh, a meaningful, uh, uh, thing. I mean, this is not going to be that popularity there. I don't, I don't see it. I definitely agree. And at, at this point, I guess it just becomes what, well, what is the appetite for the people funding this league to, you know, continue it even despite the fact that it's likely going to always play second fiddle to the PGA tour. And unless something really major changes, I think the, the unfortunate thing is Maybe not unfortunate, um, considering the money that's backing this league, but there was, you know, an opportunity here for uh, a second actor that wasn't the PGA Tour to to come in and create a, a competitor to the PGA Tour. Yeah, not even in such a direct sense like Liv is attempting to do, but some like a like a product that could really kind of operate symbiotically with with the tour. Um, you know, prior to live the tour, the tour was you know had pretty small purses, and they also had uh, a swing season in the fall that nobody watched. Right? Yeah. I think for live, their fatal flaw was trying to overtake the tour all at once, rather than maybe trying to swindle themselves, fit themselves into that fall window with maybe a few huge purse events where they got the biggest players to play in them and try to maybe more complement the PGA tour rather than totally overtake it all at once. I think then they could have actually seen some opportunity for growth once they established an audience for that. But yeah, I digress. Yeah. I mean, you're right. There was opportunity. There's a reason why there was an appetite for this and it just was it manifested itself in a, in a negative way, you know, and again, to go back to the, you know, the example of, of women's basketball, there was, it, there's absolutely a market for a women's basketball league that pays players more money. I mean, you can see even in the WNBA, some of the owners uh, in New York and Las Vegas want to pay, want to, want to give their players, you know, uh, uh, a, a little bit of a better lifestyle. But again, it manifested itself in this profoundly negative way, and we see what happened. Yeah, I actually to to build on that women's basketball point, I saw that Caitlin Clark is actually considering taking a fifth year at Iowa her COVID eligibility year 
because she could probably make a comparable amount yeah. in NIL money than she could with a WNBA salary. This is a very interesting story to follow there. She'll have a lot more people watching her in college than in the WNBA. That's the reality. The yeah. College is more prestigious. Stephanie White coached the Indiana Fever to a title in 2012 and went to Vanderbilt. She didn't even leave for a good job. She left for Vanderbilt and took Carolyn Peck with her as well. Uh, so, you know, I mean, the, you know, we all know the WNBA has got tons and tons of work to do. Uh, but as far as Caitlin Clark, it would only make sense. She can make more money and have a much bigger audience for her games staying at uh, Iowa. All right. Let's, um, let's move on to another topic. Our favorite on this podcast, a bit of a wonky radiance topic. Um, Nielsen has, has come out. This is reported by Sports Business Journal that Super Bowl viewership in their remeasured number has been much higher than their previously released number that, that we you know are accustomed to getting. Uh, the 130 or 100, what was it, John? It was the, the total audience delivery. Uh, it was 113.7 million. Yes. Excuse me. Yes, 113.7 million total audience delivery. Nielsen now says that number might have been undercounted by as much as 20%. Yeah. Um, they they did a similar review of their Thanksgiving games and, and found out that they they undercounted out of home for for those games as well. Now, I'll give you a bit of a PTI question here, as as you did did name Wilbon earlier in in the yeah. podcast. Um, is this a big deal, little deal, or no deal that Nielsen might be pretty significantly undercounting out of home for these tentpole events? Oh boy! At this point, I'm going to say no deal, just because you have to price in that Nielsen is going to come back and say they were wrong about something, um, and it makes sense. I mean, what you're trying to do is close to impossible. Uh, they're, they're trying to create a set of circumstances where they are accurately measuring what the entirety of the American public is doing in terms of viewing without having any kind of bug in the TV. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty difficult what they're trying to do. Uh, and so you don't want to be too harsh on them. But do I even care about this estimate? No. Until it's official, until it's, you know, some level of official number, uh, I'm not, I'm just not going to even think about it. I only just now have gotten back to the point where I can do like direct comparisons to last year's games because we have finally gotten to the point where Nielsen's undercount is more than a year in the rearview mirror. So I'm just not, I'm not even bothering with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, I definitely wouldn't be surprised if they, they are kind of missing a, a big segment of the population for these specific tentpole events um, with the out-of-home viewing. But I don't really see this becoming the norm um, in terms of the way they measure these games. I know they've announced that they are going to do this again for Thanksgiving and the Super Bowl next year, and I anticipate there will be similar results. They'll have undercounted once again. Yeah. But I don't think this is really going to have a huge impact on, you know, networks, ad sales departments, or, you know, the price people pay for a Super Bowl or a Thanksgiving Day commercial, right? No, I don't think so either. And uh, ultimately, it doesn't change anything as far as perception of the NFL audience, because these are all things that were not tracked before. So just because it was 200 million, that doesn't mean, wow, look, the audience grew to 200 million. We don't know what this same number would have been last year, or the year before, or the year before. So... 
you know, for me, I, I just, I'm kind of checked out on all this, uh, you know, Nielsen stuff. Uh, once I will say if they are a, if they are, are able to do this for every event, every league, and we can get some kind of consistent measure, then, I mean, obviously I would pay more attention to it, but right now it's, a, it's almost just like a little experimental work, you know, uh, something for the headlines and for PR more than anything that is substantive. Yeah. yeah. And the methodology that they used for this, it was a survey of uh, a little over 5,000 people, 5,000 individuals, rather than their typical measurement with the, the portable people meters. Yeah. People, what, you know, people yeah, lie about right. what they watch. That was the reason we, we went up, they went away from the diaries in the first place, right? People lie. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you're getting prompted in a, in a survey, did yeah. you watch the Super Bowl? Or in this survey, it was probably, did you watch a minute or more of the Super Bowl? Because they, they kind of break down how, how long people watched. Um, yeah. You're definitely going to get some sort of you. You might get some sort of questioning bias um, out of that. So and you just it's all know. inexact. It's art. Yeah, and you just never know what people yeah. what people will interpret, right? Because someone might say they watched the Super Bowl if they saw the highlights after, or they saw the Rihanna halftime performance. They might say that even if they didn't watch the game. So, you know, it is it is very inexact and imperfect, and uh, I would say uninteresting to me. I would say that. At, at this point, just given everything with Nielsen over the past couple of years, I'm, I'm kind of checked out. John, you're ruining your, your, your sports ratings credibility here. Oh, I am. I hope not. I hope not. Because I mean, the reason that I say that is because it, it, I, it just seems a little bit too experimental to me and not meaningful and not something that you're going to build something new off of, some new way of measuring. It all—it just seems like this little extra thing that they tacked on, you know, and not necessarily canon. You know what I mean? Like the number yeah. that is canon to me is 113.7 million. Not even, well, yeah, no, the 113.7 million never figured out. Uh, what the situation was with the Adobe Analytics is Fox cited Adobe Analytics in there, but uh, it seems like that entire number was Nielsen. But, you know, that is what is canon to me. The number that is measured in the traditional way, uh, or at least in the new traditional way. Uh, and this survey is just, again, like I said, um, I'm sure it's closer to accurate than the 113.7 million. I'm quite sure. But I'm also sure that it's not comparable to past years because we have no idea what the previous year's number was. And honestly, the numbers that Nielsen puts out matter primarily for how they compare, not even to past years, but the rest of TV. So in the absence of doing this measure for the rest of TV, I just don't see what the point is. Yeah, I tend to agree. And, you know, as a as a bit of a polling nerd myself, you know, not even just, you know, sports, you know, Nielsen sampling polls, but, you know, politics um, and just general sampling. Uh, I, I do think it probably is a little bit more accurate than the traditional Nielsen measurements. But as you said, there's no context. There's nothing to compare yeah, to. Yeah. So it it's probably good for the NFL. They get to say that actually more people are watching the Super Bowl than we even thought before but um 
at the end of the day doesn't mean anything probably not yeah exactly all right john um you want to close us out here i think that's a that's a good place to wrap up yeah well you know uh we are now at the end of february next up is march march madness uh, both of the tournaments men's and women's hockey tournaments as well start of baseball uh spring training already underway so things are uh, getting real very quickly here in 2023 as we approach the busy season of the calendar. Uh, so uh, looking forward to continuing to discuss all of the topics in sports media as we do with you, Drew, and uh, hopefully we'll get our guest rescheduled soon. I'm still going to keep the, the identity of the guest uh, a secret, although I did reference uh, one of their catchphrases earlier. But uh, I will see you, Drew, next week and the rest of you as well next week as we continue the SMW podcast. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.